So when is bad news actually good news? Find out on this week's Principles and Policies. Hi, this is Chuck Michaelis. I'm the chairman of the Institute for Principled Policy. And uh, I'm by myself today, and I will be by myself uh, quite a bit in the upcoming weeks. And, and uh, that's where that all that good news, bad news stuff comes in. Um, the bad news is that my, my brother, my mentor, my friend, <clears throat> and my broadcast partner, Barry Sheets uh, passed away on Sunday, July 2nd in the evening. Um, obviously, if you've listened to our broadcast uh, and to our podcast, you, you'll know that Barry um, has been ill for quite some time. In fact, uh, um, his cancer uh, that he had uh, been treated for successfully in the past returned sometime as near as we can tell sometime in uh 2022 maybe in as early as 2021 and and he didn't know it uh he he is i would i would count him among the uh, uh covid deaths if you will um well what do i mean by that um barry sheets is one of the guys who he, he had renal cancer and he had a kidney removed and he was uh, pronounced cancer-free. And uh, he was having regular scans. Every few months he'd go in and have a scan. Well, a scan. Uh, and when um, COVID hit and hospitals supposedly became uh, too, just simply too busy to handle the, uh, you know, the, uh, which all turned out to be nonsense. And a lot of times people were, were in the hospital, you know, had no choice but be in the hospital. And they would tell you the, that the place was almost empty. Um, the beds, I mean, the emergency room very often was full, but uh, very often the beds were more or less empty there. They did have a shortage of uh, medical personnel and they were the, the reason they had a shortage of medical personnel in a lot of these places was they were requiring people to take a, uh, a, a, uh, a, 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 I'm not going to call it a vaccine cause it wasn't a vaccine. It was an MRNA shot. Uh, and people knew, especially nurses and medical professionals knew that it was causing trouble. If you want to hear talk about this, Barry Sheets and I talked about this. Oh my gosh. Over and over and over again during the whole, uh, pandemic. And I, I, yes, you heard me right. Pandemic. uh, I won't go into that here, but the fact is that uh, Barry Sheets could not get in during uh, this period to get his scans done, his regular scans. Uh, you know, they would they would say, "Well, come back again in six months." Come, you know, come back again in X number of months, and all of a sudden in 2022, um, Barry uh, uh, comes into my eye. He says, uh, "I injured myself uh, this last week." doing some work in his garage 
and uh, he kept trying to get it fixed. He, he went to his uh, chiropractor, and they adjusted it, made it feel better, and then it would, it would be worse. And Finally, he, uh, uh, after getting no relief, he went to another chiropractor who uh, looked at what had been done and said, you know, you really, I'm going to ask you to go in for an MRI. And in about, uh, gosh, I, I, the dates kind of escaped me, but somewhere around a year ago, um, he went in for an MRI and, um, they discovered that he's got an eight centimeter mass on his hip, um, and also has hot spots in his spine and, he goes, uh, he, he went in for diagnosis and what did they find? Well, they found out that his renal cancer had spread. Uh, he did have a biopsy and his renal cancer had spread to his bone. Well, I can tell you from my experience in the alternative medicine field for, uh, about 50 years, uh, not continuously, but, um, O- over time, I, I worked in industry for a time and did not work in, in uh, the alternative medicine field. Uh, but that being said, uh, renal cancer that spreads to the bone, very, very dangerous, very, very hard to treat. And uh, sure enough, uh, uh, they came up with a treatment regimen that consisted essentially of some experimental therapy, some immunotherapy and and those kinds of things. And by the end of uh, last year, it had be, uh, when he went in for a check after a complete round of, uh, I think he had chemotherapy and immunotherapy, he was feeling better, or so he thought, and the doctors informed him that not only was it worse, uh, the therapy, none of the treatments were working. So... Uh, they said, we're going to try a different set of treatments and that kind of thing. And then uh, a little later, they said, okay, this is not going to work. Uh, they said, you are terminal. Um, and uh, what, where he was, uh, his, he became unable to walk because the, uh, the tumor uh, essentially ate away the bone on his hip. So he had, they told him he had been walking around and they said, please don't do that because you have no bone left. You're walking on, on tumor, which is, uh, um, you know, the, the talk was that they were going to try to remove this tumor and replace his hip. Uh, and if they could get that under control and get the spine under control, they, you know, they would go in and fuse his, his, uh, um, his vertebrae and that kind of thing. Um, uh, fix him up as well he could be fixed up. And, and you know, he was grateful for it because he was a man of great faith. Uh, he believed all along that uh, perhaps God had a miracle for him and that uh, he would uh, he would be cured, but that was not God's, God's plan. God's plan was to take Barry. Um, eventually, it got down to the point where around March, I think, they told him he had he had three months left. Um, well, he beat that estimate, not by much, but he he did beat that estimate. Uh, 
And uh, um, in the end, he, uh, of course, was uh, could not walk. And eventually the cancer got so bad in his spine that his vertebra co- collapsed completely and he was uh, no longer able to feel below his waist. Uh, he couldn't move. Um, he, he was fine above the waist and he had full use of his arms. And, and you know, the beauty of it is that uh, he had, uh, he never lost his appetite. Oh, I'm sure he did from time to time. We all do that. But he never lost his appetite. He was not in excruciating pain. Now, he had been when before they started giving him the treatments. But in the end, as the tumor spread wildly, he did not have pain. And we give thanks to the Lord for that. There, there is no other explanation than the Lord Jesus Christ put his healing hand on Barry uh, did not heal the cancer, but certainly took away the pain. Now, he, he of course, w- using, I'm not telling you he didn't use drugs. He did. Um, but he didn't use them to the point where he uh, really lost his faculties. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you go back in our archives, and uh, our podcast archives at www.principledpolicy.com, you will find that the uh, you know Barry died on July second. The last show we recorded together was uh, for the uh, June tenth uh, program, and uh, there there's been one other program since. And I I, I got to get it posted. It's it's a little late. I've been a little busy with all this uh, stuff dealing with uh, these deaths and illnesses and things. Uh, it's been very difficult, but that being said, Barry had all his faculties right up until about the last two weeks. And, um, he, uh, one evening had a, uh, gastrointestinal bleed, a serious gastrointestinal bleed that wouldn't stop. And at that point, uh, he, he was in hospice care and had been for some weeks. Um, he, he, uh, was in hospice care and he signed a do not resuscitate, meaning he understood that the end of life was coming. And we honestly thought that I think that you, you'll find that when you, when you, uh, listen to the podcast right around that time, we thought he was going to pass away like immediately. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, Ellen, his wife, call, uh, contacted me and said, it's going to be hours. Well, I didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. And I'm like, gosh, it's been three days. So I contacted Ellen. She goes, well, the GI bleed stopped on its own. Nobody did anything, and, and it stopped on its own. The unfortunate part was he signed the DNR request. They didn't do a transfusion. So after that happened... Uh, Barry started to lose his, his faculties, but let me tell you something about this man. You know, we've, if you listen to our program, you knew he, he was a a lobbyist and we talked about the type of lobbyist he was. He's, he was a confrontation lobbyist. He was not an influence lobbyist. And if you don't know the difference, an influence law, a lobbyist hands out money and goodies and fishing trips and golfing outings and all kinds of stuff. Barry didn't do any of that. Uh, Barry uh, 
was paid by his clients to go in and ask legislators, why aren't you supporting this bill or this um, resolution? Or why are you supporting this other bill or this resolution? This was the kind of lobbyist he was, and he was very effective at what he did. So, okay, Barry maintained his faculties and worked as a lobbyist from his hospital bed under hospice care until about three weeks before his passing. Now, if you're amazed at that, so am I. God gave him the strength, the courage, the willpower, and the wisdom to continue to do that work right up until the time just before his death. Um, here he is, crippled in both legs, uh, unable to get out of bed, and yet people came to him. He, he did it by phone. He did it by email. He continued to lobby. He continued to work on strategy for people. Uh, in fact, uh, Barry and I kind of joked around. I mean, we both knew the end was coming, but we joked around. He goes, you need to pray. And I, and I said, okay, what do you want me to pray for? He says, pray that I make it to July 11th. July 11th. Okay, why July 11th? And he said, that's the first day of early voting for issue one in the special, the August special election. He wanted to make it to the to July 11th so he could vote in that election. And he worked to get that issue one on the ballot. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, please, if you are not registered to vote, go out and register and go vote yes on issue one. Now, why am I using this death announcement to make this plea? Because Barry would have wanted me to. I'm convinced in my heart that Barry Sheets uh, would have wanted me to talk to you and use his, the announcement of his death to encourage you to go vote in his honor. Vote yes on issue one, August 8th. So, um, in any case, um, so Barry uh, became more and more and more ill. And uh, I, I talked to him a couple times. Uh, he and I would correspond, oh gosh, five, six, seven more times a week. We send articles back and forth to one another. We would uh, uh, laugh about things. Barry and I laughed a lot together. We, we would read uh, some of the just silly things that were being said uh, by news media, by pundits. Um, and politicians and policymakers, and we would laugh together, but we were also serious together. So we were corresponded all the time, and I, and I would ask him what his opinion was on this, and he always gave me something to think about. Always gave me something to think about. Didn't matter what, you know. I, I, very often I would send him a thing and I go, okay, I'm missing some of the background or something here. He goes, give me, uh, I would say, give me uh, um, uh, your analysis of this. And he would. Well, it got so, uh, he sent me a, I sent him something one day 
and he said, I will read this later. Right now, I'm, I'm, my brain is not functioning properly. That was the last time his brain really did function anywhere near properly. What it ha- after this gastrointestinal bleed, he did not get a, uh, um, a transfusion. So his body was trying to make up and, and make more red blood cells and more blood for him because he, he had lost a lot, a lot of blood. I mean, a whole lot. And, uh, after that he was foggy, uh, for obvious reasons, he was walking around with a substantially reduced blood supply. As time progressed, it, it, this was not long before the end came. I can tell you that, uh, late in June, in the last week in June, I got notification that Barry had been, gone over to what they call comfort care in hospice, which means that he was not going to be having any more rallies. And I, I believe he went unconscious and uh, essentially in the evening of July 2nd, early in the evening, uh, Barry passed away. I feel slightly guilty in that I was in the middle of a 4th of July celebration at my home. My, my children throw a 4th of July celebration at my home on July the 2nd, Sunday evening. And of course, we got torrential downpour and that kind of thing, which put a damper on the party, which was fine with me after I got that word. But I, I think it's significant that Barry died on the Lord's Day. Ellen, his wife, told me, oh, I wish he'd made it to July 4th. And I said, well, so do I. But I said, you know, he, he, he did die on the Lord's Day, so, so that's a good thing. But this man it should be an example to everybody. He, he really should. This is why I opened the show today talking about bad news. But bad news, that's good news. And what do I mean by that? Well, that's a good question. It's bad news to us. We've lost a friend. We've lost a brother in Christ. We've lost a mentor for me. The things I learned from Barry Sheets uh, are simply too numerous to mention. Uh, He was my broadcast partner. We wouldn't have this show. Uh, We, meaning now me, would not have this radio show if it had not been for Barry Sheets. And many of you may have been with us. Many of you, I don't know. Uh, A lot of you may have been with us for the whole run of our show, which I think goes back to 2011. Uh, I'm going to have to double check that. I think 2011 is when we started. So that's 12 years. Um, 12 years of the show. And when we started, um, we did a 15-minute daily show in the afternoon on WLRY and a one-hour show on Saturday. So we recorded every day. And Barry was working in Columbus as a lobbyist, and I lived in Westerville, and he, after he was done working, he would come to my house and we'd cut our 15-minute uh, daily show. So that show was 15 minutes, and one of the problems I had was I'm, I'm the editor of this thing. I'm the producer. And one of the problems I had was cramming everything we wanted to say. Uh, we used to laugh about this, even though sometimes I was like, oh my gosh, uh, how do we do this? Barry, um, cramming 15 minutes into this program and getting Barry to be quiet 
someplace at the, around the 15 minute mark so I could get it all into, uh, get it all, fit it all in, cut here and there and cut and paste and stretch or, or not, mostly not stretch, but compress. Um, I learned how to do a lot of that in that 15 minute program. And we would put that thing out every day. And then on Saturday, we'd record an hour-long one. And again, Barry had a little trouble. We had a little trouble holding it inside the hour margin. And I got pretty good at figuring out how much farther I could go over and still get the thing cut up. I can remember uh, trying to get Barry to stop. <laughs> we got up to an hour and 10 minutes on one of those Saturday shows once. And I said, you have to be quiet. You have to stop. Wrap it up. Because I can't cut this much stuff out. Because there was very little fat. Once we started going and doing an analysis, there was very little fat. Most of it was uh, was meat. Now, very often when you hear, what, what you'll hear is, it sounds really good. There's no uhs or or, uh, you know, all these these sounds that you make when you can't think of what to say next well that's because in order to make it meet time i would go through and cut all that out <laughs> i still do that i still go over uh, we usually go over on an hour podcast like today we'll go over a couple of minutes sometimes as much as four minutes uh, when we say we i mean me now obviously but in the past i i was tolerant of four minutes five minutes i'm sort of like stop be quiet Make your point. Get off the air. <laughs> I have to be able to cut this. So the, the travails of the radio producer. I was able usually to fix it. Sometimes I would have to go in and find more trivial things that have been done and, and cut that out. But that being said, uh, so what exactly is the good news out of the bad news? Well, the good news is that my brother Barry Sheets is enjoying his new life at the feet of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's worshiping at his feet in heaven. Is he in heaven? Absolutely he's in heaven. Uh, I'm sure some of his enemies don't necessarily think so. And he had many enemies. Most of them... Uh, people that uh, uh let's just say not good people uh he had people who hated him he had people that threatened him physically and threatened his family physically because of the things he was doing uh, over the years barry and i worked on many projects and i can still remember um him telling me that uh we had to be careful about posting his children's picture because people had uh, physically threatened his children over legislation and referenda that we, we had worked on together. Um, people think that that's all, that's all, you know, nonsense or uh, uh, hyperbole. It is not. Um, there are people out there who would think nothing of uh, of assaulting or uh, killing a child uh, or a family member or uh, 
some, you know, slashing tires, d- damaging property, that kind of thing. There are people people who were in op- opposition to what we worked on that issued such threats. Now, why didn't I get a threat? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a background guy. I'm the kind of guy that Barry, Barry, a mentor. And when I say he was a mentor, um, he did a lot of stuff with me. He he, he and I, he helped me uh, sort of organize my thoughts on my faith and helped me understand that um, I was a reformed Christian, despite the fact that I had come up in, in several different uh, I, I was baptized in Episcopalian. Uh, as a child, we had gone to a Lutheran church, and I had started to catechize. I was Reformed Anglican Orthodox. I was a Southern Baptist. I was a Nazarene. Um, all these things, I, I, I had kind of set ideas about what I thought about God and his sovereignty, and it turns out that when, when Barry and I started talking about it and we started discussing it, he pointed out to me, he says, well, whether you think so or not, you're reformed. He goes, you're not fully formed yet. And so what did Barry do? He mentored me. He answered a lot of questions. He gave me books. Um, he gave me tapes. He gave me, uh, at the time, CDs. Tapes were sort of on the way out. They were still around. CDs were just coming in. Um, this is 20 plus years ago. Barry and I met at a uh, Christian uh, men's group, an activist group, uh, about 21 years ago. And uh, the fact is that uh, um, he and I both, uh, I, I sort of instinctively, he, he both instinctively and because of his his uh you know, develop thought processes. Uh, he and I both thought that that group, we were in it for over a year. Uh, we both thought that group was a little too much heart and not enough head, uh, thinking that that would lead to something, somebody doing something stupid. There were a lot of people that uh, sort of had the idea, we're going to go do something for Jesus. Well, what are you going to do for Jesus? And they didn't have it really thought out, but we're we're going to go make a spectacle and show that uh, this is an important thing to do for Jesus. And, and Barry and I would be like, that's uh, kind of, A, that's not a plan at all. And B, that's not the kind of thing that you want to do, quote unquote, for Jesus. You're not doing that for Jesus. You're doing that for for, for your own purposes. And uh, after a while we both decided, yeah, let's let's not let's not be involved in that anymore. And we weren't. Uh it wasn't that the people were bad, it was that the people didn't weren't really careful planners and thinkers. Um and Barry and I were both more careful planners and thinkers. Um I'm uh, Barry and I uh, got along really well because our worldviews were similar. My worldview and his were very similar when we first met. I was just undeveloped. As time went on, Barry and I worked together on a number of projects. He saw enough in me that once I had begun to develop my, my theological outlook a little more and 
started realizing that I was Reformed and started reading confessions and that kind of thing. I am an adherent to the Westminster Confession of Faith, although I have a lot of respect for uh, the Helvetic Confession and the Belgic Confession and a number of other confessions. I am a confessional Christian. I do adhere to a confession of faith. Um, and that's an important outcome from that. the churches I'd been in. Now, of course, uh, the Lutheran Church had a, ha- had a confession. The Reformed Anglican Orthodox did. The Southern Baptists have all kinds of confessions. Uh, some of them are non-confessional. Some of them are confessional. It just depends. There are, there are Reformed Baptists inside the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. There are free will independent Baptists inside the, the Southern Baptist Convention. There are all kinds, all kinds of things. So, But I am a confessional Christian. And the reason we bring that up, uh, he asked me, as it became obvious that I was I was already politically astute and uh, worldview astute, uh, he asked me, as I became more uh, theologically astute, to come on to the board of the Institute for Principled Policy. That's how we came together in the Institute for Principled Policy. He asked me on the board. And I, I honestly, uh, you may not have heard of some of these people. You may have heard of some of them. That, that, that's fine. But these men were giants in, in my eyes. Barry Sheets, Max Forsyth, who, uh, who was a uh, uh, pastor at Christ Covenant Reform PCA Church in Reynoldsburg. You may not ever have heard of, the, of him, but Max was a historian and a pastor. And a brilliant guy. And uh, unfortunately, uh, oh gosh, uh, must be 11 or 12 years ago, uh, he passed away. And we were all, frankly, devastated. Uh, Max uh, was a spark plug in the Institute for Principal Policy. He was was a very important person. Um, uh, Barry was the permanent director. The way the bylaws were written, Barry was the permanent director, and he always, if you listen to the old radio show with, with Barry in there, he always announced himself as the director of the Institute for Principal Policy. Well, that's because he was the director. He started the Institute, and he invited these men to come in and keep him accountable as a board, and that's an important thing. Uh, one of the things that... that shows this sort of uh, reformed or Presbyterian, if you will, uh, form that the Institute for Principled Policy had, you always had a board that would give you advice, tell you when you might be going astray off the path, or suggest changes that might make the path easier for you. That's the whole point um, with having a board, not a business board, where the director appointed everybody he wanted and they were all yes men. We've all seen that uh, in places like churches and businesses where uh, a board of directors comes in and they're all handpicked by um, the uh, generally the CEO. And I've seen it in churches. Uh, I've been in situations where... Uh, um, I was not asked to serve on on boards because I'm not a yes man. I'm not afraid to tell the emperor he doesn't have any clothes. Uh, 
And Barry liked that. The fact is, uh, uh, you may made it sound that he invited me to come on the board. He did, but I had to go through an interview process. I had to be interviewed by the rest of the board. And I can tell you the questions were not easy. Uh, they brought me on as soon as they knew I was not a yes man and that I had an, uh, uh, enough of development in me to, uh, to be able to do uh, what I needed to do to help guide the Policy Institute. Um, at the time, I was the uh, executive director of Camp American, and we also had a board. Uh, Barry Sheets uh, became a big part of Camp American, largely because, again, we, we shared that worldview, and that's what we were trying to import, impart with Camp American. We were imparting that Christian worldview that leads to the idea of this is what Barry brought me into. All of faith, every bit of your faith, 100% of your faith for all of life. That means 100% of your life. You don't compartmentalize and have your faith serve you maybe at work and maybe in your family, but not in your politics. Uh, to name three things. There are many other things than those things. But Barry and I talked long and hard, and so did the other members of, of the board. And now I, I, I kind of got off track here, but we all talked about how this worldview, we have to strive to make our faith a part of all our life. Christ is the king. He's not just king over our our church going on Sunday and maybe what we do when we pray around the meal during the evening and and maybe some of us may import that into our work life. That's not what all of faith for all of life is. It's completely inculcating your faith into everything that you do. So some of the other men who, who were fully on board with that, uh, Dr. Mark Hamilton, who was a philosophy pro professor at uh, Ashland University, and again, uh, a man who uh, survived a near-death experience, uh, had to have a liver transplant, and uh, an odd genetic uh, disorder that took his almost dying from it for them to discover exactly what it was. He had a disease called hemochromatosis. Uh, hemochromatosis causes you uh, people to accumulate iron. Uh, you don't metabolize iron properly, and it ca uh, causes you to accumulate iron in your organs. Well, his liver failed because it had accumulated too much iron. And he very, came very close to death. He, he was blinded in one eye by uh, one issue that he dealt with with that. And, uh, um, but Mark was, besides being the head of the philosophy department for a time before his illness at uh, Ashland, he was also a pastor who founded a, a what we would call a bi-confessional church in, uh, um, oh gosh, ah. Uh, uh, can't remember up around Ashland. It was it was in rural, rural, and they've since moved into Ashland. Um, uh, it was a it was a, a great church. I, I attended a few times. Uh, 
it's too Ashland was obviously too far from where I was 70 miles to go to church. Uh, yeah, it's a little far. Um, but that being said, uh, Mark was a pastor of, of this church. And, and when I say by confessional, uh, what I mean is they were both Baptistic and Presbyterian. In other words, they were, uh, infant baptism and, uh, credo baptism believers baptism and i always wondered how that worked but i know other uh, uh of other churches who have this particular uh it's not that that baptism thing is not important to them but that each group tolerates the other they understand the beliefs uh because it's taught to them from the pulpit they understand the beliefs and they uh work uh to they strive to uh, be able to worship together. Now, it ha- I'll be quite honest, it makes for an easy split. Uh, infant baptism versus credo baptism, it makes for an easy split. And, and a lot of those churches do split into Reformed Baptist congregations and Presbyterian or not necessarily Presby- or Reformed congregational style churches that kind of thing very often but there there are denominations out there who who have by confessional theology well that being said okay we had dr mark hamilton we had max forsyth uh they brought me in contact with other people that i'd heard of and read but i had never met uh ian hamilton the late ian hamilton from uh, australia reform thinker um people like uh sasha valicord uh who uh, is a, was a ref, uh, man who had a degree in economics, but he was a, and it was a, an economics professor and a couple of schools around here. But he another reformed pastor. Uh, in fact, uh, he and I went to church together, uh, and we planted a church with him as the pastor in Mount Vernon, um, Mount Vernon, Ohio. So I knew all these people that they, they helped mentor me uh the discussions were fantastic when we would have a board meeting uh it was the most edifying fantastic these men were were witty they were brilliant um they were devoted to jesus christ um and it it really was a, a beautiful thing to get together with them uh we tried to do a quarterly uh a quarterly uh, uh, meeting after Max died, it, it got a little more difficult. Um, nonetheless, we continued to meet. Uh, we did our best to fill Max's shoes, and then Mark died. Mark, uh, uh, having been a survivor of a near-death experience, COVID got him, as it got many people who were uh, uh, who were survivors of cancers and transplants and other things um yeah covid got mark and i can tell you it was, it was a dark day for us barry and i both love mark hamilton um and uh um essentially we we lost other members who fell away weren't perhaps quite as developed in their theology and came in and then and then fell away from the group um sasha of course moved away sasha 
uh, went to took a pulpit in Alabama and then went back to Europe for a while. Um, that being said, uh, it came down to the point where it was Barry and I. Now, did we hold official board meetings? Yeah, we weren't doing too much of that anymore. Uh, what we were having regular time together, Barry and I spent hours. We, uh, my wife always said, Oh, is Barry coming? Yes. Okay. Well, I'll see you after your two hour lunch. <laughs> we would get together and a, he would, first of all, he was my lobbyist. Barry sheets was my company lobbyist. Um, what does that mean? What were we lobbying for? We were lobbying for health freedom issues, and Barry did work on those things uh, for me and for other people. In fact, uh, um, we we worked on some legislation that uh, some other people got in and kind of messed up. Uh, but that happened a lot. <laughs> we had people that all, were, were constantly uh, uh, would take beautiful legislation and in order to uh, um, appease people in the legislature, they would basically gut it, make it into a feel-good bill that did nothing, and say, look what we did, look what we did, and try and raise money on the fact that they'd gotten this lovely uh, um, legislation that did nothing passed. Barry and I were kind of sticklers on that. If we were involved and you were asking us to testify, and you came to us and said, hey, we're going to take these provisions out that make the thing work, Barry and I would say, no, you don't. And that did happen to us. This, this is Barry's dedication and what happens when you are single-minded on a specific thing that you're trying to get done. You've got your opportunity. It may have taken years to get your bill to the point where it was in a committee to be heard. And the committee was trying to cut the guts out and it was being done to, a, to assuage some, what amounted to usually rhinos. And there are plenty of those in the Ohio state legislature, uh, Barry's own, uh, representative in the Ohio legislature is Stevens who is the Speaker of the House, and Stevens cannot stand Barry Sheets. Why? Because he's a rhino. And we saw that with the whole, he wasn't supposed to be the House Speaker. Okay, well, we are not going to go into that today. But it was political shenanigans with rhinos working together, working quote-unquote across the aisle with Democrats. So uh, that's the kind of thing that Barry Sheets knew how to maneuver. And I can still remember a bill that he and I were working on together. We had both gone in to testify. This hearing was in the evening, and it was going on and on and on and on. I mean, past midnight. While the committee kept going back into executive session to go back and try and try to assuage these rhinos. Uh, and basically, they came back to, to the, the original sponsor of the bill. We were not the sponsors. We were in support as the Institute for Principled Policy. And he was willing, the, the guy who had originally sponsored the bill and gotten, gotten it, worked it through the legislature, he was willing to compromise to get this bill passed that did nothing it sounded good, and it did nothing, had no teeth, because the, the committee was going to cut all the teeth out. 
and they came to us. We were the last holdouts, and they said, can we count on you to support this bill if we do this and this and this? And we said, as written or kill it. That's, as far as we were concerned, that's your choice. As written or kill it, because we're not going to play. If you kill it, believe me, we're, we're you're not going to get away with that. And we're going to tell people why we dropped our support for the bill because it had nothing left in it. It had a name. It had a name, and it was essentially a bill. A, it would be a law that suggested that certain things be done, not that said that certain things would be done. It went back to committee, and the committee was told what we what our stand on it that the sponsor of the bill was was ready to surrender. And but some of the supporters were like over our dead bodies. And what do you know? All of a sudden, um we got it through the committee. In its intact, nothing cut. Intact. That bill went on to become state law and is in effect today. Um and the person who was the sponsor took all the credit, and we're fine with that. That's not the point. We didn't come in to get credit for getting this bill passed. We came in to be in support of a bill that we thought was a great idea. And that's the way the Institute for Principled Policy worked. We weren't in it for the glory. You you may have never heard of the Institute for Principled Policy before Barry Sheets and I started doing this podcast, and you may not have heard of it after. But the work that we did as the Policy Institute was very pivotal, very key. And the fact is that one of the reasons I really like the Institute for Principled Policy is I'm a background guy. Barry Sheets is an upfront guy. Now that doesn't mean that I didn't I never testified. I you know if you know anything about this program, I've testified on numerous times about numerous things in the state legislature. Um but that's not what the uh, I'm not the foreground guy who goes around and I'm involved in drafting things. I'm involved in support work. I'm involved in writing uh policy articles. I'm involved in that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that Barry liked about me, <laughs> I can tell you this because we, we talked about it. Um, uh, Barry sheets. Uh, I, I had told him once, I said, you know, I have a talent that, uh, a lot of people, it used to bother me. This, this quote unquote talent used to bother me a lot. And later as I became, uh, more active, uh, it began to not bother me at all. And I realized that God had given me a gift and Barry would say, okay, what, what do you think it is? And I said, all right, I can go into a place. I can go to a party. I can go to a meeting. I can go here, there and be at places and sort of be, be the eyes and ears of, uh, of people who are, maybe giving a presentation and be in the audience and sit around when that happens 
and I go to these things, nobody knows I'm there. <laughs> nobody remembers me. Uh, I'm that nondescript a person. I don't throw off vibes of, oh my gosh, the Mr. Charismatic is here. I don't do that. My, now, what's interesting, and my, my father did that. My father, every time my father would come into a room, everybody in the room knew he was there. He was that kind of personality. I'm not that. I'm the exact opposite. Nobody knows I'm there. And I can sit in the back of a room, and Barry set me up to do this. When we were doing the, uh, uh, the marriage amendment, the Ohio marriage amendment, he did debates in, in colleges. Uh, I remember one specific debate we did in one of the halls on, uh, oh gosh, uh, uh, one of the residence halls. And he said, just go out and sit in the audience and pay attention to what's happening, which I did. And I, I reported back to him. I, it was very useful to him. I said, Barry, I, when you made the point that you made, and we were laughing about this, oh gosh, not too long before he died. We were laughing. I said, you made that point, and suddenly your opponent realized that he had stepped in a trap that you laid. And I could see the whole audience saw. I mean, literally, I said, I could feel it in the room. I saw people slack-jawed looking at each other, realizing that your opponent had stepped into a rhetorical trap that he couldn't get out of. And I said, did you change some minds in that room? I think you did. You didn't. A lot of them will, will vote against the marriage amendment on an ideological basis but on, not on the basis of this debate, because you were the clear winner. And I, and I sat and I watched people's reaction. I was able to do that. I sat as a neutral, just in an inconspicuous part of the audience. But I could see everybody around me. And I could see what Barry's rhetorical trap had done. Uh, as I recall, his opponent was none too pleased about, about his own performance in that in that debate, uh, I seem to recall hearing something about cheap debating tricks, and I'm like, oh, no, you you set the scenario, Barry set the trap, and you stepped right in it. I'm sorry, sir, your, your point was flawed, and you didn't get there. Um, this is the kind of thing Barry w could do. Uh, I, I saw another one at Bowling Green State University where he uh, clearly prevailed in the... Uh, um, in the debate. And he was great at that. He was a very good debater. And, um, I'm not so bad myself. I, I can, uh, when I give testimony, I can still remember, uh, representatives from the opposition to what we were, we were, uh, supporting would ask questions that they thought were gotcha questions. I remember once on a, on a constitutional, uh, uh, education bill. A guy, uh, a Democrat from Dayton, um, asked me a question that he thought was a gotcha. And he asked me about, well, 
you want to teach the uh, the founding documents, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the uh, uh, Northwest Ordinance, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay, on the Constitution, do you believe that the 14th Amendment should be taught? And I said, okay, Article 6 of the Constitution says that all amendments made to this Constitution are the Constitution. So, obviously, we would teach the 14th Amendment. Now, he expected me to say no. Why he expected me to say no, I don't know. I, I guess I guess he thought this was a gotcha that I was... Eh, a lot of people make assumptions about your... Uh, your worldview and the, and the things you want to do and what it leads to. I think he made the assumption that I hated the 14th amendment, uh, because it, uh, uh, certain things that are contained in it that have been mis misconstrued. I go, I don't have any problem with parts of the 14th amendment at all. Do I have, do I think there's been some interpretive problems? Yes. There've been some major interpretive problems, but that's not the point. It's part of the constitution and I teach it. And in fact, I did teach it. Barry and I, Barry Sheets and I taught classes on the U S constitution. Uh, we taught them from a 12 week course called, uh, Institute on the constitution. And if you remember on our, we've played some of the IOTC, as we'll call Institute on the Constitution, IOTC. Uh, we've played some classes that we taught at Camp American from this uh, this 12-week course. We taught the whole 12-week course in one week at Camp American in a sort of an abbreviated form. But Barry and I went around, did two-hour classes in different places. My gosh, we taught in Sunbury. We taught in uh, canal winchester we taught at mount vernon we taught uh at the mount vernon nazarene university and by the way we got thrown out of there why because of all the cockamamie um woke nonsense uh we got thrown out of there uh because they didn't like someone who was uh on the board of directors uh was one of the the key players at at the institute on the constitution um and uh, uh, Sasha Volacord set us up for that. He because at the time I, I think he was hooked up with with uh, Mount Vernon uh, Nazarene. I don't think he taught there, but he he had contacts there. Uh, yeah. So uh, MVNU is very woke. If you didn't know that. Um, in any case, uh, we taught in uh, oh gosh down in um, oh. South of Columbus, we we taught uh, we taught in my uh, in my own church. We taught an IOTC class, twelve week class. We taught at a church up in uh, Marengo. Uh, at the same time, we were teaching the Mount Vernon church, which was interesting. We in the early afternoon or in the late afternoon, we we teach in Mount Vernon. Then we get in the car and rush over to Marengo and teach in the evening. So we taught dozens of these classes. And believe me, you get very well versed in the Constitution. And in fact, I developed a game called the Constitution Game. Barry and I developed that game. Uh, we used it at Camp American, Camp American mostly, but we also used it with our our uh, um, Institute on the Constitution classes. Uh, we gave prizes. Barry was very generous. He always would buy. He'd find a place that was selling books. Uh, usually cheap or uh, 
not cheap necessarily, but inexpensively. People who were trying to broom out old stock and that kind of thing. And he would buy these up. And then he, he in his uh, mentoring uh, other people, he would buy these books up and he would give them away. He did that to me. When we first met, a huge part of my library uh, is was either a gift, a suggestion, or uh, came about because of the worldview issues he helped develop in me. A huge portion of my library. Now, I, I'm a book collector by, uh, by temperament and a reader, but Barry really, 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 he helped dozens of people. He mentored dozens of people. This is the kind of thing you get when you have a man whose faith drives him to do things, apply all of his faith for all of his life. This is a man who dedicated his life to serving his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he did it by all these things. He raised his family. He raised a Christian household. He helped run his church. Barry was an, an elder in a little church in Plenty, West Virginia. Near the end, before he got sick, he was doing what in Presbyterian circles is called exhorting. They didn't have a regular pastor. All they had was an elder filling the pulpit, and that elder was Barry Sheets. Now, this was an older congregation, and Barry and I used to laugh about this. <laughs> Barry and I got a kick out of the fact that uh, people would say, well, where is your church? He said, it's in Plenty, West Virginia. Well, where? And he says, well, you can't miss it because it's got an adult bookstore in the front. And that was true. There was, there was a, it was on Route 35, and there was, they were on a hill behind this adult bookstore. And he used to say, just come to the adult bookstore and drive behind it and go up the hill. And uh, uh, the church property is right behind that. He kept that church alive well past its, it what should have been an expiration date. He and his family, they were the youngest people there. The, I asked him one day what the average age was. He goes, it's in the 70s someplace, high 70s. But Barry Sheets, they relied on Barry. When Barry, it became impossible for Barry to come in and essentially be the elder and do the exhortation, that church is, I think it's closed. And this is the kind of man Barry was. He applied his faith. He was a faithful man. He was a good man. He was a, a strong man. If you've ever met Barry, you wouldn't necessarily pick him out. He was a giant among men. He and I were, were Mutt and Jeff. I'm six feet tall. Barry was about 5'7 or 5'8. And he was, before uh, he got sick, uh, he, he was a, not a skinny man. When he, that sort of disarmed his opponents, <laughs> which was a good thing. And I, I'm actually running out of time, but I want to sing the praises of, of my uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who has accepted Barry into his bosom. And he has now got f his full faculties back. He's got his, his legs and his arms and, and his body in, in good condition. And the rest of us here are left to carry on in his legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you right now, please, 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 
If you're not registered to vote, go and register and go vote August 8th. This is a pivotal issue. We must protect the Ohio Constitution. I'm not afraid to tell you that this needs to be done. That being said, please vote August 8th. Vote yes on issue one. And uh, I'll be back. I'll be making more shows. I didn't mean to make this a whole hour as a eulogy, but hey, that's what happens. I love my brother and I miss him already. Oh, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. Join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.